This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, Jets season came to an end. You heard the highlight at the update at the top of the hour. 11-6 loss in Miami. The Dolphins are headed to the playoffs, a place that it seemed like the Jets were destined to go just about a month ago. But their season ends 7-10, and six straight losses, and uh, plenty to discuss from what was an interesting season and obviously very important decisions uh ahead for this franchise. Connor Rogers has been in the middle of it all season long on the Jets pre and post game show on SNY. And it's been a very busy day, but uh, Connor always kind enough to give us his time. Connor, how you doing, man? Thanks for, thanks for hopping on with us tonight. I'm good, Pat. Thanks for having me, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to get your perspective. Cause like I said, you, you know, you're right there in the middle of it. You and the guys in the studio do a great job pre and post game all season long. Um, so let's get right into it. You know, 7-10, and 10, as we know, six-game losing streak to end the season. Obviously, there's positives, and we want to talk about those as we go on. But in your mind right now, Connor, the 2022 season for the Jets, how will it be remembered? I think of disappointment, right? And I know that sounds crazy to say because when you look at it, this was a team that over the summer their win total by Vegas was set at 5.5. And, and Think about how clearly they, they cleared that, right? How early they cleared that. When you look at what they were able to do with all these young players that took off immediately, like Sauce Gardner, like uh, Garrett Wilson, of course, like Brees Hall, it felt like the Jets were going to roll above and beyond expectations. And for a while there, they were. But at the end of the day, expectations can change. And for the Jets, they really did not have to do much these last six weeks to get into the playoffs. And they, they couldn't split with New England, they fell flat against teams that, quite frankly, I'm sure they thought they were better than, whether it was a, you know, dropped Braxton Berrios touchdown at the end against Minnesota, whether it was a loss against the Lions that they couldn't get anything going on the ground, completely embarrassed on Thursday night against Jacksonville. And then today's a different scenario. They weren't playing for anything today, but, you know, once again, you had a chance, I guess, to finish 500 in the division and you're going against Skylar Thompson and, Things just don't go your way again. And I think, you know, Pat, how it goes in this league. If the Jets started off really, really poorly and they reeled off five wins at the end of the year and got to seven, everybody would be looking towards next year. They'd be wondering what the ceiling can be for this roster. They're wondering if Zach Wilson's the future. And now, obviously, there's all pessimistic thoughts about the quarterback they drafted second overall. While there's still a lot of young talent on this team uh, that can get you over the hump next year, they just have huge questions to answer, most notably at the quarterback position. Then on the offensive line, which is massive, despite the investments made by Joe Douglas over the year. And quite frankly, a coaching staff that I thought did a lot of good things this year, but on the offensive side of the ball and even at special teams at times, needs to be much better next year, where they'll probably have a playoff mandate by ownership. And they probably should, given the talent on the team, Connor. And I agree. We'll, we'll talk about the quarterback because that's obviously the biggest question mark. But I want to ask you about the coach because you mentioned the coaching staff. And, look, Robert Salas, a defensive coach. He had success as a coordinator. Last year, the defense was terrible. This year, it was a terrific defense. So he does deserve credit for that. But I think overall, as a head coach, considering how this offense played down the stretch, considering how the quarterback position was handled. I think there's a lot of questions about this guy um, as a head coach. Where are you right now on Salah as the head coach? I try to look at it in two different ways, right? You look at how what Salah walked into. The Jets were coming off one of their worst eras of football under Adam Gase. That's no exaggeration. The roster was bare bones. Player development had been lacking here for felt like nearly coming up on a decade. 
there was so much to fix, whether it was the attitude and the outlook in the organization, whether it was overall talent. And when I say that, I mean a coaching staff working hand-in-hand with a personnel department where you're, dra- you're scouting and drafting players that fit what you want to do in terms of your identity on defense, offense, and even down to special teams, and, of course, collecting depth in the same manner. And quite frankly, in a two-year nutshell, this coaching staff's done a really good job in a lot of those areas. They've, they're able to get premium talent that matters so much for their systems. You look at Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed at cornerback. The Jets have one of the brightest young duos in all of the NFL. DJ Reed's 25, Sauce Gardner's 22. They were able to take Quinn and Williams, a player that underachieved his first couple of years in the season, and turn him into a superstar, one of the best interior defensive linemen in all of football. And I think they'll pay him like one. They finally got it at wide receiver with a number one target in Garrett Wilson. And just by looking at Joe Douglas's draft with the Adam Gase staff compared to, you know, the most recent draft with the Sala regime, that's a big time jump. But when you do look at the results on the field, the Jets coming out flat, the Jets not being able to adjust once they lost some of their higher end talent, whether it's Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall in the Denver game and the offense never changing, right? You, you have to change your offense when you lose a top-tier offensive lineman, when you lose a back that has 4-3 speed and can run off tackle and take it to the house. You've got to become a more downhill kind of offense. And quite frankly, the biggest thing they'll be judged on, Pat, is that despite his own struggles, which I'm not sure many coaching staffs could overcome, they are going to be judged for the failure to develop Zach Wilson. And not into a superstar, but even to a capable starter that could have gotten to that nine-win mark this year. And we know how the benching went and everything that route. So – Essentially, when you put all those things in a pool together, what you get is a year three with significant expectations, a put-up-or-shut-up year where you're going to be scratching and clawing every single week because you know one win or one loss can be the difference in your playoff hopes, and your playoff hopes are the difference in your tenure and extension with the team or being shown the door. And that's where we're heading, I think, as we move on to the 2023 NFL season. And then on top of that, like you said, Connor, and we're talking with Connor Rogers, who's part of the pre and post game coverage for the Jets on SNY. You know, on top of that, I think it's where the losses stacked up and six straight losses to end the season. And like you said, in hindsight, now that we can kind of reflect on all of this, I mean, they were two, you flipped two of those six games and they're in the playoffs preparing to play the Bills next week, right? So the, the way that the season ended, how much of a concern is that that he wasn't at some point, I mean, he seemed like this last month and a half like a guy without a lot of answers. He wasn't able to step in, and I know it's not all on him, but he wasn't able to step in and stop that bleeding. No, I agree. It has to be, right? I think when it's a matter, let's not forget, I mean, his defense that got them as far as they, they really went couldn't, close out the Lions game, right? And they'll be remembered for that. You close out that game. Uh, once again, if LaFleur dials up something in the red zone that gets them over the finish line against Minnesota, everything just changes. That's what you get remembered for. And whether people think that's fair or not, because it's a small sample size of a large NFL season, well, it was crunch time. And crunch time is the difference of hanging on this in this league or, or being cast aside. And now, what I do think is you need to be careful over-evaluating those situations. This was one season that did run into a lot of bad luck. I did think they, they you know, had some shortcomings in their overall plan. They came into the season relying a lot on Mekhi Becton that hadn't played a whole ton of football for them for the most part. And then he gets hurt in August. That one you have to do, the trickle effect of that, you pivot to a 37-year-old Dwayne Brown who hurts his shoulder really before the regular season ever starts. And everything kind of went downhill from there for the offensive line throughout the season. So 
I think they learned a lot of hard lessons throughout this year. Honestly, one of my bigger criticisms of them coming into the year is it felt like they didn't take backup quarterback very seriously. And Joe Flacco didn't give them the best chance out of the gate when Zach Wilson got hurt. And we kind of saw the trickle effect of that. Mike White, unfortunately, hasn't been able to stay healthy, um, although he did play well when called upon until he got hurt again, like he did last year. So I, my overall outlook on the season is what lessons did you learn? How are you going to address them in the offseason? And then the biggest thing for next year as well, besides some minor things, there were some penalty issues some tackling issues, is how do you adjust your scheme and your talent to that scheme to maximize your players. And I think they failed at that a couple of times, not just at the quarterback position, but at the running back position, even at linebacker and safety at times. So those are things that you could take a deep breath and settle and adjust and look in the spring and summer. But when the heat is on the NFL season, they have to be better in those areas. It's funny. I look around the NFL on this week, 18 and Davis Webb gets a start and and made the most out of his opportunity. and, And Sam Howell does that for Washington and and you have this guy, this really high price commodity that you've invested a lot in, in Zach Wilson. And in a game that doesn't mean anything to the Jets, he can't find his way onto the field. So he doesn't get anything out of this week 18. So as we head into his second NFL offseason, Connor, what is next? What does the future hold for Zach Wilson? God, it's a great question because there's so many variables at hand, right? The way I answer this question is, we don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be, and that's a big question right now. Do, do we think it's not going to be LaFleur? I think it's going to be LaFleur with significant additions made to his staff, whether okay. that's a senior offensive assistant, uh, whether that's letting the quarterbacks coach go or the offensive line coach go. I think that would be the compromise between Sala and ownership rather than just sitting on your hands and doing absolutely nothing. So let's assume for a simple conversation that it will be LaFleur. Well, then I think they'll look to a Jimmy Garoppolo who he has familiarity with or somebody along those lines. And then you sit there and go, okay, well, do we still believe in Zach Wilson? You know the GM does. It took him number two overall. He's kind of treated all of his draft picks like that, going back to Makai Becton, Denzel Mims, Braden Mann, a punter that couldn't make a, a key punt to save his life, has just hung on this roster forever. It's just how the general manager rolls right now. So when you have that kind of situation, you go, okay, well, can we trust him to be the backup? Well, if you're signing a Jimmy Garoppolo or you're starting a Mike White or a quarterback of that nature, these guys have been hurt a lot. So do you trust to find yourself in the position you were in this year where Zach Wilson is starting again? I don't believe the coaching staff thinks that. So you have to go out and get a solid backup. You need to sign a Jacoby Brissett, a Gardner Minshew, on and on and on the list goes of veterans. Well, then are you carrying a third quarterback in Zach Wilson? That's going to be the dilemma the coaching staff runs into with the front office because, quite frankly, Pat, what is Zach Wilson getting you in a return in a trade? I don't think anything more than day three pick right now, which is a horrible return on investment. So there is a lot going on here and a lot to unpack, and they need to sit down like adults in the room and really figure out the long term. And I'm sure on Zach Wilson's side, he, him and his group probably wouldn't mind a new star as well, but it's no guarantee they find the right situation that meets both sides' demand. So the Jets are in a bind. Would it shock me if they had two veteran quarterbacks on the roster next year and he's behind the scenes and they're trying to develop him again? No. Would it shock me if they find a trade late for him when all the dust settles well after the draft, well after OTAs, because they don't get the right price or right return that they feel is even decent? It's a really, really difficult situation. But what I can tell you is, I would be very surprised if Zach Wilson is starting or the number two quarterback to open the season next year. Wow. Wow. 
Is the Daniel Jones path a possibility for Zach? Look, Jones obviously was a sixth pick, not a second pick, and I don't think he was ever as bad in his first three years as Zach has been in his first two. But look, he gets a new coach. He gets a new coordinator. He gets a new system. He stays healthy. They coach him the right way. We saw what Daniel Jones did this year. I guess what I'm asking is, you know, Daniel Jones isn't a top five or a top ten quarterback, but he's a starting quarterback, right? Is that at all possible for Zach to be a top 15 to 18 quarterback in the NFL at any point? I think it's definitely possible. I think my biggest question is, will it be here, right? And that's really hard for me to have optimism for just because of how poorly things turned this season. And it seemed to really have an effect on Zach's mental, the mentality, the confidence or the lack thereof. It obviously trickled onto game day, but I heard it was something that significantly trickled onto practice days as well. So you have to wonder, does he just need a fresh start? And does he need to go to, you know, a quarterback school on a situation where you're developed by somebody that is one of the best in the league? And the ex- there's no expectations for you because you're the number two or three guy on a roster. And, you know, obviously the names that come to mind are a Kyle Shanahan kind of guy or Sean McVay who might even step aside. That's kind of how you look at things right here. Where Zach, listen, what they built for Daniel Jones is very smart. A lot of it was uh, quick reads and then using his legs to get him out of trouble and really beyond that. His legs were actually a legitimate weapon. That when you look into the advanced numbers, they weren't asking Daniel Jones to consistently drop back long designs and throw the ball down the field where he could find himself into trouble. And then it also started to negate a lot of those long developing plays where he held the ball and got strip sacked. So that was a really wise construction by Brian Dable that built up Daniel Jones' confidence. And as the season went on, I think you saw him trusted with a little bit more to make plays. That's the square one that, whether it's the Jets, whether it's another team, somebody has to do with Zach Wilson, where it's a lot of first read or run and then builds up from there. And that's a very, very long road in the NFL that it's not guaranteed for success. Connor, what is Mike White's future in the NFL? You know, it's an interesting debate because you look at it and go, we know the Jets are going to go out and get a veteran quarterback. And then is Mike White's situation best suited to come back to New York as the number two, where let's not forget last summer he walked into summer and competed for the number three job with Chris Strebler. He almost lost that job. It was a long road for him to get back on the field as a starter, and it really didn't happen until the Jets were ultimately desperate near the end of the season. Now you can come back. He's a free agent. So if Mike White finds a better opportunity, which quite honestly, I don't know if he will. A lot of there's going to probably be maybe three to four quarterbacks taken in the first round of the draft. You have names out there like Jimmy G, Derek Carr, Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew. We'll see what happens with Lamar Jackson. We'll see what happens in Green Bay. Eventually, the game of musical chairs becomes a little bit tough for Mike White to walk in and get a starting job. But what he'll have to decide is, do I stay? in a place where I know the staff, I'm beloved by the team. I don't know if my ceiling is as high because I'm not walking into camp with a chance to start, but I know at any given point I can play and play successfully as long as I'm healthy. Or do I look for a new opportunity where I'm not looked at as Mike White, the overachieving guy that made it off the practice squad, but brought in and given a real chance. So I think Mike White obviously wants to start in this league. I think Mike White will get quarterback two money on the free agent market, which isn't crazy, but he'll ultimately have his choice of if he wants that to be with the Jets or be somewhere else where there's more opportunity. On this Sunday night of Week 18, we're joined by Connor Rogers, part of the Jets studio coverage on SNY, and uh, we'll let you know that Detroit has just gotten into the end zone and took a 13-9 to lead 
over Green Bay in the third quarter. So the Seahawks right now, big Lions fans as the Packers are in a win-and-in scenario for the seventh spot in the NFC. A couple more, Connor, with you. We, we, we would be remiss if we didn't focus on some of the positives from this season. Look, Salah took over a franchise that had won two games. They won four last year. They win seven this year. And week 17, they were in position and a somewhat realistic path to getting into the playoffs. You don't get into that position without some positives. So the the foundation for this team going forward, Connor, in your mind, uh, is what? That this is built on? Well, it's, it's got to start on the outside, right? And that's because they have, in my opinion, a guy that will be a, a top three corner next year. He was a top five corner this year in Sauce Gardner. And, you know, every number indicates that's exactly what he was. A rare rookie season. He had the lowest quarterback rating when targeted amongst all corners. He forced the most incompletions with 20. He took on Stephon Diggs, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill a couple of different times. I mean, the guy was tremendous. The confidence he plays with. And across from him, it, it, there's a big – they're different, but a big Revis and Cromartie vibe here where the Jets have two outside corners and a competitive nickel and Michael Carter that they can line up with any three wide receivers in the entire NFL. That's all good and great. Well, then you have to improve in the middle. you got to get an extension done with Quinn and Williams, of course, your, your centerpiece. You still have C.J. Mosley coming back. You need to get bigger at safety. You need another outside linebacker to play next to C.J. as well. But their identity is at cornerback and right in the middle with Quinn and Williams. On the offensive side of the ball, for the first time in a very long time, they have a true number one wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson had 83 catches and over 1,100 yards this year, Pat, with whatever the Jets carousel was doing at quarterback. If you get stability for Garrett Wilson, he's a wide receiver built on route running, polish, timing, anticipation, uh, catch and run plays. If he gets to build that rapport with one quarterback, this is somebody that should go for over 1,400 yards in year two, very similar to what Stephon Diggs has been for the Bills. And then this should be a running football team. Brees Hall is not going to be 120% out of the game in September. You have other running backs on this roster. You need to rebuild this offensive line, but you need to get the outside explosive run game going again when Brees Hall and Elijah Beer or Tucker are back. So that's the mold of the Jets. Shut down the pass, rush the passer. You have a featured number one wideout that takes some of the stress off of the run game and then develop the run game by being physical in the trenches. That's what they were when they got to that seven-win mark and everything looked great before everything fell apart. This is a bit of a complicated question. I'll leave it on this, Connor. But, you know, I, I hate the, the quick turnaround in head coaches and general managers, but specifically head coaches in this league. And, look, as we said, Salah took over a two-win team. He won four games. He won seven games. He built a top defense this season. I don't think he deserves to lose his job. I think he's done enough to continue with this team. That being said, is there any chance that Woody Johnson goes big game hunting? You know, if Sean McVay steps down, I don't think he's going to want to jump right back in. But obviously, Sean Payton is a name that we have heard, and he's connected. I know he's interviewing in Denver. Uh, he's been connected with any number of franchises. Is there any chance that Woody um, gets antsy and goes big game hunting for a guy like that? With Woody Johnson, you could never rule it out. Now, do I think it's a wise move? No, I don't. I think the Jets always kind of, you know, hamper themselves by ha doing these overreactionary moves. And I think when you look at it in this scenario, I understand a lot of people listening to this are not happy with how the Jets season ended. They've probably soured on the coaching staff, and I understand that frustration. But you have to realize what's out there, right? Sean Payton, well, you better get ready to give up probably a first and a second-round pick. 
just have a lot of different holes they need to improve on this roster. If you don't have that draft capital to do so, well, then what is Sean Payton coming here to do? And with what quarterback? He's going to want to go somewhere where there's an established quarterback. So, And we've seen Sean Payton bail on a situation that got sour really quick. If it doesn't work out in one year for the Jets, does he do that again? That would scare me, especially after surrendering all that draft assets. Jim Harbaugh, we, we've heard his name come all around uh, you know, every couple of years from the college ranks after he had, you know, his NFL tenure. I, that's just a tough sell for me. I, I get he works directly with the quarterback situation, but that's far from a guarantee that he comes in and everything works out and you're turning all your schemes over. You just acquired all of these players for this scheme. And like you said, it, sure, it's a disappointment, but they've gone from now uh, four wins to seven wins. you got to get to ten next year. I, I, you could sell me on the big game hunting situation if I was much more unsure of the head coaching situation, if they weren't actually trying to build something. And most importantly, this is the most important part, it was a name out there that I was confident would come to the New York Jets. And right when you look at it, was there some big quarterback out there that's tied to a head coaching candidate, and you put together this master plan, and the Jets walk and look like they just pulled off a bank heist and they have this great future set up for them. Absolutely. I don't consider that under Sean Payton. I don't consider that under Jim Harbaugh, and I agree with you. I think Sean McVay, when he ultimately does walk away, he probably needs at least a year off. Connor, great stuff as always, and great job all season long uh, before and after the Jets games. I know you, that was your first year under your belt now, right? Yeah, uh, first year under the belt. and It was honestly a blast. It was awesome to work with the crew. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of ups and downs with this team, and I, I hope everybody really enjoyed it with us. Yeah, I certainly did. So keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks, as always. Pat, always good to talk to you, man. Have a good night. Connor Rogers of SNY on the Jets' pre- and post-game studio coverage and other outlets as well. Pat O'Keefe, 98.7 ESPN New York. We'll get back to your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Week 18 in the NFL here on ESPN New York. This is... Is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Pat O'Keefe with you at 98.7 ESPN New York. Another hour and a half to go here until midnight. 1-800-919-3776. So Detroit took a 13-9 lead in the third quarter over the Packers. But Aaron Rodgers and the Pack marched right downfield. Couple of long pass plays for Rodgers. And it is the Packers back on top. 16 to 13. So back and forth they go in the final game of the NFL regular season. Your calls on the Jets, on the Giants, on what happened in Buffalo, uh, the Bills' first game uh, after uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, all of that from Week 18 at 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to the phones now and uh, check in with Kevin in the Bronx. What's going on, Kevin? All right, Pat, I know you have your fishing rod out looking for calls, and um, here I am. Now, you talked about the lateral play. The only time the lateral play was successfully executed was when it was done by the, either the Little Rascals, the Three Stooges, or the Marx Brothers, and you would see a perfect execution of the lateral play. And who could ever forget Spanky with the gum on his hand when he was lateral on the ball, and it came right back to him. But... Um, <laughs> Thank you, Harvey. Only loves that kind of stuff. I know Richard from Manhattan will call and he'll correct any mistakes. He will. Um, uh, let's face it, Jets, listen, Woody, whatever you want to call him, Woody Hayes, Woody Woodpecker, Woody Johnson, the guy's got a ton of cash. Bring in a high-profile coach. I know you guys 
usually don't like to call for coaches to be fired. You got to deal with them. You think it's not right. These guys made a ton of money. It's a all boys club, and uh, you can't get in unless you you know you, you're friends with these guys. Um, I really think they mismanaged Zach Wilson. They're saying it now. It looks like Flacco should have started the last two years. They had White and, and, and Wilson sitting behind them watching him. Could learn a lot from him. And the way the offensive line is, they'll definitely get some action. And maybe they could have developed either one of them or both of them until they found the real quarterback. But the offensive line, very difficult to fix. I've always said the hardest position to play in pro sports is the offensive line. People are going to say, oh, no, no, hitting a fastball. No, what I'm trying to say is the last position in sports where you actually need a brain is the offensive line. You've got to be able to pass, block, run, block. You've got to be able to walk up to that line of scrimmage along with the quarterback and read that defense. It's so unbelievable the way these guys have to play together. And the coaching, if someone goes down, they have to plug somebody in there because if there's any weak link in there, the defense will automatically explode. Very difficult to build an offensive line today. And a lot of times you see more mobile quarterbacks, you have to have them because the offensive line can't contain a pocket anymore. A guy like Zach Wilson, if I had an offensive line, he's a pretty good runner, good arm, right arm, I'd have him roll out to the right a lot and, and try to get some plays developing that way. Of course, not every play, but you got to play to his strengths and get that offensive line protecting these guys, or you're going to have what the Jets had, uh, Mike White getting his ribs injured, uh, Joe Flacco. I mean, people call him this and that. Listen, Flacco could still get the ball out there. You give him a little time to pass. He didn't look bad at Bad at all today. It looked pretty good. They're just the offense is going to stall when it gets inside the 20-yard line for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they should cut the field down to 80 yards. But then again, on the, now with the Giants, Brian the bold one. Listen, this guy took the Bulls by the horns. I know the Giants, they're not Bulls, but they, he took them by the horns in in training camp. And he was and he was a, a guy to, the players would follow. They liked yeah. him. They liked his engagement with the other players. And they developed a good thing going on here now. Now, uh, listen, are we going to have a quarterback country next year with uh, with Mr. Davis Webb? I don't think so. But no, I don't think so. Th- I'm only joking around. But the thing is, all right, you rested your players up. Make sure they are ready to go. And let's see what can happen. you got the two very good running backs. you got Daniel Jones and, and you got Barkley back there. So you got two good running backs. Let's see if they can exploit a little passing. Everybody says Minnesota's not that good, but – uh, they're trying to talk about point differential. Who knows what that really is? Well, Maybe be careful of that, lines, Kevin, and I appreciate the call. Be careful of that with the saying that Minnesota's not too good because you're going to hear that a lot this week, uh, that the Giants should have beaten the Vikings. The game was there for them. The Vikings and their negative point differential. I haven't checked today. Maybe today pushed them back over the top. But coming into today, they actually, and our last caller's right, had a negative point differential. Uh, where do they stand at the end of today? Yeah, they fit. I mean, amazing. They're 13 and four, and they were outscored by three points this season. That's because they were blown out 40 to three by the Cowboys. They were blown out last week by the Packers. But you're now going to hear, I mean, the Giants, I'll tell you right now, the Giants are going to be the hot underdog that everybody picks to win in the first round. And Dable said it this week. He goes, listen, I'm going to do what's best for my team. If I rest my starters and we come out and we play well in the playoffs, then I made the right move. If I rest my starters and we come out and it looks like we're rusty, then I didn't make the right move. He, the confidence that Dable has, and you could tell, I, I like, I've called it swagger. I mean, the guy does have swagger. He's very confident in his own skin from day one. 
uh, the first day that he presented himself to the New York media, to the Giant fans, he has been very confident in his own skin, and I think that has set the tone for this organization. Our last caller, uh, long-winded as he may have been, and I do appreciate the call, Brian. I'm just messing with you, but he had a lot of good points, and that's one of them. Dayball has made such a difference with this team with the tone that he has set since the very beginning. Um, but be careful of, you know, you're always leery of the team that every, the underdog that everybody picks. I mean, look at the first-round matchups. San, Fr- uh, San Francisco against either Seattle or... Um. Yeah, and, and, and Harvey and, and Chantel producing the show tell me the Vikings are the first team to win 13 or more games and have a negative scoring differential over the course of the season. I mean, think about it. It's almost impossible to do. You win nine more games than you lose. So by nature, those nine games are going to be a positive. So whatever negative is accumulated in your four losses has to be greater than the positive accumulated in your nine victories. Very difficult to do. Um, but you look at the first-round matchups, Dallas and Tampa Bay. I expect Dallas to be favored. I would not be surprised if Tampa Bay wins. The 49ers against either the Packers or the Seahawks. I The 49ers will be heavy favorites either way. I expect, as Aaron Rodgers has just thrown an interception with a three-point lead, I expect the Niners to be favored heavily and win that game uh, in the I think the Vikings will be favored over the Giants, but it will not be a big line at all. I'm sure the lines are out already, by the way. I'll take a look during the break. Uh, In the AFC, very odd matchups, right? Buffalo and Miami. Buffalo is going to be heavily favored, especially if Skylar Thompson is the quarterback. Cincinnati and Baltimore. Cincinnati is going to be heavily favored, uh, especially if Lamar Jackson doesn't play. And then the 4-5 game is going to be interesting. I actually expect, just like in the NFC, I expect the 5 seed, which is the Chargers, to be favored. And I believe they are favored in the early lines over the Jaguars, even though they will be uh, on the road. The Chargers will be. 1-800-919-3776. We'll uh, get to more of your calls. We continue following along this Sunday night game, this important Sunday night game. Uh, before we go to break, I'll uh, update you quickly. The interception was called back, a hands-to-the-face penalty against the defensive line against the Detroit Lions. So take that turnover off the board. Green Bay's drive continues with a three-point lead in the third quarter. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Is the schedule out? No, the schedule can't be out already. It, it is on this uh, gambling website, which I'm not going to – say the name of because I don't know if they're a sponsor but the Vikings are three point favorites over the Giants uh, the Chargers on the road in Jacksonville are two and a half point favorites uh, the Cowboys on the road at Tampa are three point favorites the Bills are ten point favorites over the Dolphins and the Bengals are five and a half point favorites over the Ravens so that to me that line would would indicate that <clears throat> That is based on Lamar Jackson playing that game because I think if Lamar Jackson is not playing for Baltimore, that is closer to a double-digit line in the 3-6 matchup between Cincinnati and Baltimore. Fourth quarter underway in Green Bay, and Detroit's putting up a fight. They trail 16-13. to Packers have the ball. Fourth down coming up, so a decision to be made for Matt LaFleur and the Pack. It looks like they're going to have to punt this one away. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. Let's check in with the aforementioned Richard in Manhattan. Hey, Richard. Hi, Pat. As far as the lateral play, the most we just uh, passed the uh, 40-year anniversary right. of the Cal Stanford. Most- 
Cal Stanford yes. in 1982. That was, I, that I, was I meant to bring that up with Kevin, but he mentioned about seven topics after that, so I kind of lost track. But yes, and it was 40 years. We just have uh, to correct me. I don't think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the Giants have ever won a playoff game indoors. The, the two Super Bowl wins were those indoor games. The. The, the on the road, I know. I mean, on their road trips, they didn't win any indoor games. They never beat like New Orleans or Atlanta. Well, let's indoor. go through the last the last Super Bowl. They they beat Atlanta at home, then they went to Lambeau, and then they won at San Francisco, and then the Super Bowl was indoors in, in Indianapolis. Oh, that was indoors. And then I don't know if Arizona is considered. I think Arizona is also considered an indoor. No, stadium. that's outdoors. Is it outdoors? Are you sure? Oh, Glendale. That's outdoors stadium. I'm not 100% sure about that, but they, they beat Tampa. They beat Dallas. Why would Arizona be indoor? No, that's impossible. I, I'll check it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's indoors. I think it's one of those indoors-outdoors. I think it's indoors, though, Richard. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Dallas is, I guess, technically outdoor because of the hole in the ceiling in 2007. Um, and then, of course, Lambeau again. So those are their last two paths. Um, and then you go back to – the, the time before that they were in the Super Bowl, which was 2000, when, when they beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship, and they beat the Eagles also at home. So, yeah, you, you might be – other than – and those are both neutral sites. I don't know if they've ever had to go on the road and win a game indoors. It's a good question. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's I see. can't remember they're one general, other than the two Super Bowls. They're not good – I mean, their overall record in the past is not good indoors. They're not a good indoor state. I mean, I'm just unscientifically. I don't, I don't, because they're not built that way. They're a Northeastern team for outdoor football, running the football. They, you know, they've never had three or four wide receivers at any one time, you know, like these other teams are built for. But well, it's funny. Anyway. The 2000 team actually was, if you remember, the 41 nothing game against these Vikings. That was actually a team that could have played pretty well indoors with yeah, Kerry probably. Collins throwing the ball, Lamani Toomer, um, right. Ike Hilliard. Right, but they were more possession receivers, not the uh, guys who go 30 or 40 yards and catch touchdowns that way. Anyway, we would, uh, as far as the Jets go, you know, it's, it's really under, understated. Once Brees Hall went down, that was it. The season was over, you know, and no, they didn't say it at the time. I don't know. Everyone thought they'd recover, but, man, that guy was huge. Yes, he was it, having a great season. I don't it, think that I don't think that ended the season, but it certainly didn't help. They look, they still could have. They, they didn't were still end if they were doing. They were, uh, Pat, they were fine until he got hurt, though. It exposed uh, Wilson. That's for sure. Yeah, they, but they kept winning though. They beat Buffalo after that. They they beat Chicago after that. It's not like they never won another game. They were right. they were they were just fine. Look, it didn't it didn't help, but I don't think that ended their season. And it'd be ludicrous to fire Salah because he didn't do anything that bad. You know, he, he remind, at the press conferences now, he, he sounds like an apologist. He sounds a lot like uh, Boone without the team behind him, you know. He sounds a lot like Boone protecting the players. And, you know, I, I just wait, you know, I, I would love for him to say, well, what do you want me to do? This is what I've been given or this is the hand I've been dealt and this is what I have – you know, but he, of course, he could never say something like that. But you know, and why would Woody want to pay another coach? I mean, he didn't do anything fireable, not at all. And he can still build a defense. So let let's rely on that, and we'll just hopefully to. I mean, Brees Hall coming back next year is going to be a big boost. 
So and whatever they do with the quarterbacks, they'll know. They'll figure it out. They're not going to be that bad that way. So I, I, I wouldn't be so down on him. Well, and it would be ludicrous to pay another coach when you have oh that two head coaches. I, I agree with that. I mean, a waste of money. The guy would have to be so inept to fire him. I mean, you just can't do it. And you, and a good guy like that, no, no. I mean, I don't think it's his time to give him one more year, give it one more shot. The defense was on the way, and Joe Douglas, I mean, he did get uh, – he, he got the cornerback, so that was a great pick, uh, Source Gardner. And uh, you got, I'm just optimistic. Just things will turn around, I hope. They have Wilson, turned around. Wilson will, Wilson will come back with a different attitude, and uh, you, you can't be that down. You know, as far as uh, – it was unwatchable the last five games, though, and you can't you can't window dress it. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, we were optimistic that some of these games would turn out at least good games. They weren't even good games the way they played. So that's got to be looked at, Pat, more than anything. So at least we got the Giants to look forward this week, and let's see what we can do with that. Pat, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Richard. Um, State Farm Stadium in Glendalia, it, it's it's covered. It, it's not, you know, I don't like to use the word dome anymore because dome is, you know, the carrier dome, the metro dome. Um, you know, you, you think of this big, you know, domed, sphere-shaped ceiling. Um, obviously, covered stadiums now are a lot more nuanced, but it's an indoor stadium, uh, State Farm Stadium in Glendale, where the Giants won Super Bowl forty-two, and then the stadium in uh, Indianapolis, where the Giants won Super Bowl forty-six, is also indoors. So they won their last two Super Bowls indoors. Uh, where were their other two? In, um, in Pasadena. I think Super Bowl 21, they beat the Broncos in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And then Super Bowl 25, of course, when Whitney Houston saying the national anthem was outdoors in Tampa at the Big Sombrero, as Chris Berman used to call it. So there are four Super Bowls, two indoors, two outdoors. Have the Giants ever won a playoff game indoors? I don't think so. They've played the Vikings a couple of times. Vikings have always played in, indoors, at least in my lifetime. Uh, both times that I remember them playing the Vikings in the playoffs, they played... Um, at Giant Stadium in 1997 and in 2000. Uh, we just went through their two most recent uh, Super Bowl runs. Obviously, the last time in the playoffs was 2016. They lost at Lambeau Field. Uh, they went to the playoffs in 2002. They lost at San Francisco when they blew a 24-point lead to the 49ers. Uh, Eli Manning, before he went to the Super Bowl, they lost a playoff game at home to Carolina. They lost a playoff game at Veterans Stadium, or I think that may have been the link at that point to the Philadelphia Eagles. So those were all uh, outdoor stadiums. So, yeah, I don't know that the Giants have ever won or even played uh, a playoff game, a road playoff game in an indoor stadium. If they have, uh, I stand corrected. So uh, Giants are going indoors. Look, they were just there. So, yeah, are the Giants a team – that's not built uh, for an indoor stadium. No, they're not, but they, they just were there in a big game for the Vikings and a big game for them. They took it right down to the wire. It took a 61-yard field goal to beat them. The Giants and Brian Dable coached and played that game like they have this entire season, like they played against the Titans and the Bears and the Panthers and the Packers and the Ravens and the Jaguars and even the Eagles today which is control the game, control the pace of the game, you know, 
shorten the game. The Giants all season long have done a great job shortening the game, and which is what you want to do when you are not the more talented team in the matchup. And that, once again, will be the case. That's why this season has been so impressive and really so delightful for Giants fans because it has been so unexpected. There were no expectations for this Giants team to even sniff the playoffs, and yet here they are, and not only are they in the playoffs, but they're a team that's in the playoffs that people are going to pick and think have a chance to knock off the Vikings in the first round, and they do. They absolutely do have a chance because they're going to be the better coached team, and they have been playing in games like this all season long. But, interestingly enough, so have the Vikings. The Vikings... I think set the NFL record this year for most wins in one score games. So you base, and that's exactly what happened three weeks ago on Christmas Eve when they met at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. A one score game, it came down to the final play of the game, and it took a 61 yard field goal by a shaky kicker, no less, for Minnesota to beat the Giants. So these are the two teams that are most equipped to play in that type of game, and it's going to be interesting. The Giants absolutely have a shot, but I don't think that the fact that they almost beat them three weeks ago should have Giants fans feeling overly confident that they have a chance to win this game. All right, things are getting interesting in Green Bay. Uh, 16-13 Packers, but Detroit has first and goal. We're inside the fourth quarter. We'll continue to update that and your calls at 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Hopefully before the end of the show, we'll get the playoff schedule. There are five minutes and 49 seconds left in Green Bay and the Lions lead 20-16. to 16. You heard the update at the top of the hour. Incredible what just happened. So Detroit is driving. They get a first down play. DeAndre Swift is stopped, I believe, at the 11-yard line, and he's hurt on the play. The trainer for the Lions comes out to check on Swift. There's a bunch of players gathered around him. He, I'm not going to say grab because it wasn't a grab, but he puts his hand on the arm of Quay Walker, the rookie linebacker for the Green Bay Packers, basically to say, to move him out of the way so he can get to his injured player. Walker turns, sees that it's the athletic trainer for the Lions, and with two hands, shoves him in the back. Quay Walker, professional football player, wearing a helmet, shoulder pads, and all kinds of equipment, okay? Takes his two hands and puts them on a civilian, not wearing equipment, not wearing a helmet, not a professional athlete, a guy out there on the field doing his job, and he shoves him in the back with two hands. Walker was flagged and ejected from the game. The rookie first-round pick out of Georgia. So now Detroit gets first and goal from the five. Two plays later, they're in the end zone. Walker is walking down the locker room, ejected from the game. The Lions have a 20-16 to lead, and I mean... Does it not need to be pointed out of all weeks? Not that you should ever be stupid enough. And unfortunately for Quay Walker, he's going to wake up tomorrow morning and he's still going to be stupid. Of all weeks, to shove a trainer in the middle of a game 
when the guy is out there doing his job after what we saw in Cincinnati less than a week ago when the trainers for the Bills and the Bengals saved a man's life, a member of the fraternity, a member of the brotherhood, as we have heard all season long. Denny Kellington was the main trainer who was operating CPR on DeMar Hamlin and has been rightfully regarded as a hero by current NFL players, by former NFL players. There have been so many people involved in the game who have spoken out this week in support of athletic trainers praising their importance to organizations and to the league. And obviously, it was brought to light this week in a near-tragic situation that wasn't a tragedy because of the work of those trainers. And I understand that Quay Walker's not supposed to have all of that in his mind at this moment, five minutes to go in a potential NFL playoff game. But what he should have in his mind is when a trainer goes on the field and he's not wearing equipment and is not a professional athlete, don't shove him in the back. So you know what that makes you, Quay Walker? It makes you a coward. And it makes you a bully. And you know what it makes you? It makes you a loser. That is such a loser move. And it might cause his team to lose this game and be eliminated from the playoffs. Because Quay Walker is a moron. It's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I was in the middle of a point, and Aaron Rodgers just throws an interception. If that's not karma, I don't know what is. So now the Lions have the ball, 327 to go, and a four-point lead. Wow. Wow. I couldn't believe when I looked up. I asked Harvey, I said, did I really just see that? Because we're wrapping up the segment, and I look up on the TV in the corner of my eye, and I see a football player wearing equipment shove a trainer not wearing equipment. Not a professional football player. You're a real big, tough guy. Congratulations, you moron. 1-800-919-3776. Brian in Florida. What's up, Brian? How you doing? How you doing? Can you hear me? I got you. Oh, how you doing? Uh, I'm a big Giants fan. I grew up on Long Island. I went went to... School. I went to school in Tallahassee. I went to Florida State. Anyway, the thing with the Giants against Minnesota is they need their cornerbacks uh, healthy again because they, Minnesota throws the ball a lot. And another thing, when I was in high school in Nassau County, I played cornerback. I don't understand why the Giant cornerbacks don't hit on on third down. They don't hit the wide receivers on the line. You're allowed to do that within five yards. So. I think in the game against Minnesota, they're going to have to be more aggressive, especially on third down, because Minnesota throws the ball a lot. And the other key to this game, Brian, and thanks for the call, is simply just going to be putting pressure on Kirk Cousins because the Vikings have a guy on the outside that is borderline unguardable. And the Giants really did as good a job as you can do against Justin Jefferson on Christmas Eve. But still, I, I, I don't know what his numbers were from the game, but every time they needed a play, every single time they needed a play, they went to Jefferson. He's the best. He's the best. He's the best wide receiver right now. You know, you, you want to give me Diggs. You want to give me Jamar Chase. Those guys are great. Uh, I know Cooper Cup was the best last year. He got hurt this season. Jefferson is the best, and he's young, and he's just getting started, and he's, he's basically unguardable. 
So the key is to put pressure on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is not unguardable, right? You give Kirk Cousins time, he could pick you apart with that type of a weapon. Hawkinson's a solid pass-catching tight end, but uh, Jefferson is the ultimate safety valve for a guy like Kirk Cousins. That's why a team like Minnesota can go 13-4 uh, and four without a top-flight quarterback in the mold of Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. Jefferson, like I said, it felt like the Giants did a good job on him that game. He had 12 catches for 133 yards. The Giants, and this is throughout history, the Giants have been successful against dynamic passing attacks when they have put pressure on the quarterback and not given him time to throw. Let's go to Roslyn in New Jersey. Yes, hi. How are you? I'm good, Roslyn. How are you? Good, good. I just had a commentary on the Jets season this year. I'm a Jets fan for over, over 30 years. And I've watched them evolve and not evolve. And I just saw something this season that was just so unique because that that's crazy unique that I just don't understand why the administration is letting this happen, okay? You know, they're, they're, we're not going to get a return on our investment for Zach Wilson. We paid him too much money up front. We gave him a signing bonus, and then we also gave him a guaranteed contract. Nobody is going to take him on in a trade situation because they're going to have to pick up the rest of that contract. So that's that's not going to happen, okay? Um, and he hasn't demonstrated anything for any other team to pick him up for any reason. So he's kind of, he's like stuck in the mud with us. And we have nothing to do about it. That's a poor administrative move. The other thing I want to say is with Sayla, okay, I didn't like his press conference today because – you know, he talked about uh, when they asked him a question about Zach Wilson, what he should do. He said he should go read a book, you know, relax, have a vacation, you know, and then reflect. Well, that's not the way that works with, you know, when you're an NFL quarterback. Zach Wilson, okay, cannot read a pass rush, okay? He knows the plays, but if you're if that person is not exactly where they're supposed to be at that very moment, then they're not going to get the ball. He doesn't know how to read a pass rush. You know, well, I think back over the years, you know, you have your great talents like Brett Favre. You know, they drop back. They do a, like a two-, three-step drop, and they can read the pass rush as it's coming before it even comes to them. Zach Wilson is not that quarterback. This is this is a new Gen Z kind of age of quarterback these days right now that we're dealing with. And we have to accept that. But at the same time, I don't think we should give them all that money until they prove themselves. And I'm going to take it one more further. I remember – when we had um, Mark Sanchez, he took us to the AFC Championship, okay, in the first year, okay? Yep. And then when he took us there, what did we do? We want to do everything to try to cut him because we didn't get to the because we didn't get to the finish line. We didn't get to the Super Bowl. But here's the thing, okay? We're coddling Zach Wilson. That's taken us nowhere, giving him fifty-seven million dollars guaranteed, okay? And then, but with with Mark Sanchez. We tossed him out to the wolves because why? He didn't get us. He didn't get us to the Super Bowl in the first years. I mean, look, this is all administration. This is all decision making. This has nothing to do with the players. We have everything we need. I watched every single player: Garrett Wilson, Sauce, all these guys. They're putting their blood, sweat, and tears into this game, and they're winning. Wilson, there's players. They got Wilson players. Yeah, our players are there. Wilson shows up every time. You uh, even he tries to make the play even when the play is not in front of him. I watched him today. He is always, 
always trying to make the play. Wilson had a, Wilson there. had a he had a great game today, Rosalind. And thanks for the call. He, he and I said this in the first hour. I was at, at one point late in the game because look, the Jets. He he was their only source of offense today, and we had a caller. I think it was <laughs> I think it was Kevin from the Bronx who said that that Flacco uh, should have been the quarterback all along. Fla- Flacco, I apologize if it wasn't you, Kevin. I think it was you. Flacco has shown he's been now what the Jets quarterback for two years, three years. Flacco has, other than the last two minutes of the Cleveland game this year, Flacco has not shown me anything, a single thing. All right, but Wilson today. Played his heart out. I mean, he he literally, I thought, was going to hurt himself. He was playing so hard trying to get open at the end of the game. Wilson's a phenomenal talent if you can put adequate quarterback play, get Brees Hall back close to where he was this year, and shore up the offensive line. You have a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL, and maybe a top 5. The only reason I don't say top 5 is because there's so many good ones. I mean, there really are. You know, Chase and Jefferson and... Uh, Cup and Diggs, that's four right there. Tyreek Hill, there's five. So it's hard to say top five because <laughs> there's some really good ones. But you would take a top 10 wide receiver. The timeline regarding Mark Sanchez, let me just clear that up a little. He is drafted fifth overall. Um, Rex developed a great defense, and they had a lot of veteran talent on that team on the defensive side of the ball a great rushing attack with Thomas Jones they went to the AFC championship game his first season they obviously caught a huge break with the Colts in the second to last game of the season and a 14-0 record taking Peyton Manning and the rest of the starters out of the game Jets won that game they won their final game to finish nine and seven to get into the playoffs beat Cincinnati beat San Diego, and next thing you know, they're in the AFC Championship game uh, against the Colts again, and the Colts won and, and went to the Super Bowl. Next year, Jets were better. Defense was better. Wide receivers were better. Sanchez was better, but neither time they went, and, and they beat they beat the Colts on the road. They beat the Patriots on the road. I mean, you can't take that away from Sanchez or Rex or the Jets or anybody. I mean, think about that, what they did. They go to the playoffs. They were 11-5. and five. They win at Indianapolis and beat Peyton Manning on the road in the playoffs, and then they go to New England and beat Tom Brady on the road, back-to-back weeks. I mean, Sanchez won four road playoff games. Uh, they're back in the AFC Championship game, this time against the Steelers. They fall behind, way behind, what was it, 27-0, 28-0, and, and end up losing by, I think it was a point. They came all the way back. They ran out of time. They had all the momentum. That was their year. But neither one of those... Now, Sanchez played terrific in that New England playoff game. But neither of those trips to the AFC Championship game were because of Mark Sanchez. Um, but, San, you know, and then, of course, the whole Sanchez injury with the Snoopy Bowl game in 2013. And I only know the date because it was August 24th, 2013, because my son was born, and I remember watching the game in the hospital and wondering what the heck is going on and why Mark Sanchez is in the game and why Mark Sanchez is getting injured in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. So that day will always stick in my memory, and he was never the same after that. Now, did he develop the way uh, you would have hoped? He did not. Um, But I don't remember. I don't think it's accurate to say the Jets were trying to get rid of Mark Sanchez after his rookie season. 
because he didn't get them to the Super Bowl. I don't think that's accurate at all. He was the quarterback the next year and got them right back to the AFC Championship game, and they went 11-5. and Things went off the rails after that. And it was also three regimes ago. That was that was Tannenbaum. Then you had Idzik. Then you had McCag. That was four regimes ago. So what they did then, you can't really compare to what's going on now with Joe Douglas. Connor Rogers, who was great last hour, made an interesting point. Douglas is very, very loyal to those who he brings in. They do get a very long leash, even if it's clear that Look, not every general manager hits on every single draft pick. And I've been saying this for weeks. I mean, it's amazing that nobody's calling for Joe Douglas's job because they shouldn't. He's done a really good job. It's very difficult to... This is going to be one of the all-time draft whiffs unless Zach Wilson significantly turns things around, which right now I don't think any of us see happening. This will go down as... You know, what What are the all-time draft whiffs? Uh, Jamarcus Russell, number one overall pick by the Raiders. Achilles Smith, number three overall pick by the Bengals. And, and Zach Wilson, number two overall pick by the Jets. I mean, this is more of a whiff than Sam Darnold. Because at least you got three years out of Darnold. And you got a couple of good games and performances out of Sam Darnold. This is going to go down as one of the all-time NFL draft whiffs, and yet Joe Douglas has done so well in so many other areas that he's going to easily be able to survive this. Most general managers would never survive whiffing on such a high pick at such a high-profile position so spectacularly. That's what's happened here with the Jets. And yet Douglas has been so good in so many other areas that it's not going to affect his job status, and it shouldn't. But he's got to figure out what to do with that position. You know, the scenarios that Connor Rogers painted, a Garoppolo as your starting quarterback, a Jacoby Brissett as your backup quarterback, and then Zach Wilson still on the roster as your third quarterback? How much salary cap? Space is that going to tie up at one position? I know it's the most important position, but Garoppolo's not cheap. Jacoby Brissett, as far as backups go, is not cheap. And Zach Wilson is, yes, on his rookie contract, but he was the second overall pick. So according to the rookie salary scale, it's about as high as it can get for someone drafted that year. But hey, the way that this team is constructed, it's a win-now team. Playoffs are no longer the goal. Playoffs are the expectation. Meanwhile, in Green Bay, Detroit, 20. Packers, 16. Uh, it's fourth and one from the Green Bay. <laughs> this is always interesting. It's fourth and one from the Green Bay 15-yard line. Uh, Detroit has the ball. Dan Campbell, we talk about Robert Sala struggling with clock management. What's Dan Campbell going to do? Is he going to go for it on fourth and one? Is he going to kick the field goal to try to take a seven-point lead? we got to step aside. 1-800-919-3776. We'll continue with your calls. We'll continue to follow this game. And uh, like I said, hopefully by the end of the show, which is the top of the hour, we know when the Giants' first playoff game since the 2016 season will be played. We know where, Minnesota, hopefully – after this game is over, we will find out when. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This. this. 
is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Jamison Williams apparently asked Aaron Rodgers for his jersey after the game. Aaron's response, I'm going to hold on to this one. Let the speculation begin. Perhaps Aaron Rodgers' last game at Lambeau Field as a Green Bay Packer. All right. The schedule for Super Wild Card Weekend. Harvey, you want to hit it? Super Wild Card Weekend. It used to be Wild Card Weekend. Now it's Super Wild Card Weekend. Went from four to six games. Last year, they weren't all great games. Last year was the first year we expanded to 14 playoff teams. We had that Monday night game between the Rams and the Cardinals in which Kyler Murray forgot to show up. We had a Taylor Heineke sighting against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But, hey, more football is a good thing. Super Wild Card Weekend begins on Saturday. 4.30 on Fox. The seventh seed out of the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks, the last team to punch their ticket into the postseason, courtesy of the Detroit Lions, the Seahawks. At San Francisco at 4.30. That's game one of a doubleheader. That's on Fox. Game two is on NBC. The Saturday night game, 8.15 Eastern in Jacksonville, Florida. So I don't think we'll see the breath of players coming out of the helmets like we have on so many night games in the playoffs in January. The Jaguars, the fourth seed, the champions of the AFC South, hosting the fifth-seeded Los Angeles Chargers, who the early line has as a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, Saturday, 8-15 on NBC. We move to Sunday's triple header. And remember, next weekend is a holiday weekend. It's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. The first of three games on Sunday on CBS the Miami Dolphins, the seventh seed in the AFC at the Buffalo Bills. Bills, the second seed. They wrapped that up with their win today over the New England Patriots. That's 1 o'clock on CBS next Sunday. 4.30, Fox, Sunday, NFC, the six-seeded New York football Giants in Minnesota, back in Minnesota, to take on the third-seeded Vikings, who have been outscored through 17 games this season by three points. The Vikings two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Giants on the early line. The nightcap of next Sunday's Super Wild Card Weekend triple header. 8-15 Eastern, once again on NBC. The third-seeded Cincinnati Bengals taking on their division rivals, the six-seeded Baltimore Ravens. The Bengals, early five-and-a-half-point favorites over the Ravens. Will Lamar Jackson play? Will Lamar Jackson be there? Will Lamar Jackson ever play for the Ravens again? We don't know, but... The Bengals host the Ravens next Sunday night 
at 8.15 on NBC. And the final game of Super Wild Card Weekend coming your way, Martin Luther King Jr. night. This is a pretty good one. This is what they call a marquee matchup. The fourth-seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers on their home field against America's team. The fifth-seeded Dallas Cowboys, who started Week 18 knowing they had a shot if things broke a certain way of earning the number one seed in the NFC. And how did they respond to that? Well, they went out and lost to Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders 26-6. Dak Prescott throwing 23 incomplete passes among his 37 attempts. Tampa Bay and Dallas, 8-15, Monday night on ESPN. So there you go. Harvey, nice job. I really dragged that one out. You had to hit the repeat button a couple of times. Uh, so C- Seattle, San Francisco, and then the Chargers and the Jaguars. Those are Saturday's matchups. Sunday, you have the Dolphins at the Bills, the Giants at the Vikings at 430, and then the Ravens at the Bengals, and then Monday night, Dallas at Tampa Bay Super Wild Card Weekend. A couple of other interesting things as the season wraps up. Uh, we'll go through the Week 18 scores. Uh, most I shouldn't say most. Many of them didn't matter. Uh, Bills beat the Patriots 35-23. That essentially eliminated the Pats. Uh, the Vikings beat the Bears 29-13, so that solidified the Vikings as the number three seed. It also kept the Bears alive for the number one overall pick at 3-14. and 14. They were the leaders in the clubhouse. However, the Texans had a chance to jump back over them. And wouldn't you know, the Houston Texans... The Houston Texans go into Indianapolis with a late touchdown and two-point conversion and beat the Colts 32-31. to So the Texans finish 3-13-1, and that win costs them the number one pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. So the Bears will pick first. I heard on one of the updates earlier, it will be their third time ever with the number one pick and their first time picking first overall since the 1940s. The Texans will finish second and they must have been thrilled with Lovey Smith for coming from behind and pulling that win out in Indianapolis. So thrilled, in fact, that Lovey Smith has been the first head coach fired ahead of what they commonly call Black Monday in the NFL. Lovey Smith is out as the head coach of the Houston Texans. This from Jordan Renan, our ESPN Giants reporter. He tweets that the Giants have the longest odds to win the Super Bowl of any playoff team, plus 6,000, according to Caesars Sportsbook. So if you think that Dable and Barkley and Jones and Thibodeau and Lawrence and Martindale if you think they've got some magic in them for a miracle run and four more victories, well, there are your odds right there, plus 6,000. So the Bears wrap up the number one pick in the draft. Texans will pick second. Uh, Steelers beat the Browns 
eight to fourteen. Pittsburgh finishes with a record of nine and eight. They started the season midway through. It looked like they might be in line to pick first in the draft. They started the season two and six. After that, they go seven and two. And if the Dolphins did not kick that late fifty-yard field goal and beat the Jets eleven to six, they got a subsequent safety when the Jets tried to lateral. Then the Steelers would have been in line to take that number seven spot in the AFC playoffs. But they're the first team out. But Mike Tomlin still has never had a losing record as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Panthers beat the Saints. That game had little consequence. The Broncos beat the Chargers 31-28, to wrapping up just a miserable season for Denver. Uh, the Chargers, as mentioned, will be the fifth seed and take on Jacksonville in the 4-5 matchup on Saturday night in Jacksonville. 49ers beat the Cardinals 38-13. Brock Purdy still hasn't lost as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. They're 8-1 at home. They host the Seahawks. They got what I think is a break, even though, look, Green Bay's not Green Bay. It's not your traditional Green Bay, but you're always leery about an Aaron Rodgers, and you're always leery about a Tom Brady in the playoffs. Well, the NFC doesn't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers right now. He was just eliminated by Dan Campbell, Jared Goff, and the Detroit Lions, 20-16. Good for Goff, 23 for 30. I mean, Goff, think about, there's two teams um, that had really good seasons, and actually they're both very much intertwined. Two teams in the NFC that had really good seasons above expectations. They both seem to be on the rise, and they both traded away a franchise quarterback. So in addition to having multiple assets going forward, they also now have better teams than the teams to whom they traded their quarterbacks, and that is the Lions, and that is the Seahawks, who got into the playoffs because of the Lions. Think about this. The Lions have the Rams' number one pick next year because of the Jared Goff trade. Now, the Rams won the Super Bowl, all right? So you can't quibble with it too much. Did the trade work? Yeah, they won the Super Bowl last year. But now going forward, the Lions have a better team. They have their own first-round pick. And they have the Rams' first-round pick from the Matthew Stafford trade. Same can be said for the Seahawks, and they're in even better shape. I mean, think about that. The Seahawks have the Broncos' first-round draft pick, and the Broncos just finished 5-12. and 12, So that's going to be uh, a top five, top six. I'll have to take a look at the final draft results. That's going to be a top five, top six draft pick. And on top of that, the Seahawks have a better team than the Broncos, and they have a better quarterback than the Broncos. And just adding.